Welcome to Think Smart, Feel Smart, Live Smart. I'm V. Vincy, Registered Counselor, Relationship and Family Therapist and Founder of Headquarters Counselling Services. This podcast aims to break down the overwhelm of life and equip you with a toolbox of knowledge, tips and tricks to help you live your best life. This raw, real and unproduced podcast uses audio taken from my weekly live broadcast in the HQCS Community Facebook group. You can find a link to the community in the episode notes. It's free to join. Now let's get started. Hi, hi, welcome. How are you? I hope everyone is doing well. Um, Hello to any new members. I'm not sure there was any new ones today, but always a nice shout out for everybody. We are about learning and connecting because it's really important to connect. But what I like to do is make sure we connect with the principles that I work with in mental health every day so that you get value but connection, you know, because we've lost that a little bit. And you will have noticed that I am passionate about delivering good quality mental health to as many people as I can. So keep sharing. You won't be able to share the community page But share my business page if you want because it gives people access to the community and I love that. So for those of you who don't know me, I am V Vincy, a registered counsellor, relationship and family therapist and founder of Headquarters Counselling Services. I help you pinpoint confusion and chaos so you can achieve the clear, calm and confident life you want. You will find every episode available in the resources And also on iTunes, of course, with the um, podcast now, which I've got to say, I get so many comments about the podcast. I'm so glad that we, um, we did that for you guys. So what I'd really like is if you like what you hear on the podcast, please leave me a review on iTunes because what I'm getting is a lot of you guys are sending me messages and don't stop sending them because I love them. But what we're trying to do is pull the ranking up. And so when you leave a review on iTunes, it helps other people find it. And so the more we do that, the more fun it is. Now, we have been looking at change on a number of levels. So what stage in the stages of change you are in and are you actually ready for the change you want? We have looked at the pleasure pain principle, which underpins the decisions we make and how this specifically affects our decisions with regard to change and trigger points that can affect motivation. So last week we specifically looked at what motivation was and tips to maintain it. But tonight I want to look at what derails it and specifically show you how to work with resistance as these derailments are in fact what resistance looks like in the flesh. So tonight we will be talking all things resistance. What is it? Well, most of us, have two lives, okay? Bear with me. The life we live and the unlived life within us, all right? This is based in psych. So the unlived life is the dreams, the goals, the wishes, okay? The life we live is the present one. Some of it's mundane and boring, but it's there. And that's part of what is really cool about the the unlived life. It's It's what we aspire to. It's what we want. It's our goals. Between the two lives stands resistance. And I have a special few mentions on this one, on within this. And I'm sure we are all familiar at some point with one or more of them. So what can resistance look like? perfectionism. 
resistance can look like a disrespectful attitude or commonly referred to as a shit attitude. It can look like being self-critical. It can be preoccupation with appearance or image. It can be social withdrawal. It can be a need to be seen as independent and not vulnerable. It can even show itself in an inability to accept compliments or constructive criticism. So we reckon we're all familiar with these on some level, but what we might not have realised is that it is resistance. So I'll have a little bit of a deeper look at resistance. I've previously mentioned a book called The War of Art. Uh, it was in one of my earlier lives, and don't ask me which one it was because I've lost track, but it's there. So that's, uh, that's a little test. Now you've got to go through them all. Anyway, The War of Art is a book by a guy called Stephen Pressfield. It's an interesting book, right? So it's got parts of it that I absolutely love and it's got parts of it that I absolutely hate. So I always refer to them as interesting there. But what I love about books is that you can take from it what you want and discard the rest. Now, this book in particular really focuses on resistance. And he says that resistance is the most toxic force on the planet, that it is the root of more unhappiness than we realise. It can look like this. Have you ever brought home a treadmill and let it gather dust? If no one is putting their hand up, you're not being honest. Have you ever signed up for a course of yoga or meditation or any course really, even a self-help one, and bailed? On a deeper level, have you ever laid awake at night and seen a vision of the person that you might become the work you could accomplish, the dream to do more or be more than what you are right now, then that, my friend, is resistance. Now, I am not about to go on a spiritual journey with you. Well, not in this live anyway and not tonight. But why I am talking about this is because people continue to not look at why they are not achieving what they want in their life because we keep it at surface level. We keep going, I just don't have the motivation. Now, motivation is not resistance. However, it goes hand in hand with resistance. It's, it's almost like the alpha of the pack. Resistance is the alpha of the pack to our old friend, procrastination. Motivation and procrastination are like the terrible twins. They get up to mischief covertly and they back each other like old friends. Procrastination is the biggest form of resistance we encounter in everyday life, but we continue to blame motivation. No, we're not going to do that. We need to look underneath motivation. What are you procrastinating about? And you can use a three-step model for that. One, recognize that you're procrastinating. It's really hard to do. Most people don't recognize it. Step two, work out why you're procrastinating. Step three, adopt anti-procrastination strategies. That's it, three simple steps. A combination of all three, though, will give you the best possible chance of succeeding. So nowadays, many therapists work with resistance as a way to understand their clients better. 
So we emphasise the importance of working with resistance, not against it. And I've mentioned this a few times. It can also be really useful to identify resistance with a client because it not only works towards addressing the issue, but can allow you to think about and discuss what you see, the resistance and the thinking processes that underlie it. So in this way, the client or you take an active involvement in their therapy, which can reduce resistance in the future. And it helps the client's ability to identify their resistance in the future and respond to it. So let's talk procrastination. Procrastination is a challenge we have all faced at one point or another. For as long as humans have been around, we have been struggling with delaying, avoiding and procrastinating on issues that matter to us. So during our more productive moments, we temporarily forget our, figure out how to stop procrastinating. We feel satisfied and accomplished. Tonight, we're going to talk about how to make those moments of productivity more routine. Right, so I want to break down some of the science behind why we procrastinate and share some frameworks you can use to beat procrastination and cover some strategies that will make it easier to take action. So let's start by getting the basics nailed down. What is procrastination? What does it mean? And what exactly are you dealing with? Procrastination is often confused with laziness, but they're different. They're really different. So are you being lazy? Well, only you're going to be able to answer that. So procrastination is an active process. You choose to do something instead of the task that you know you should be doing. You actively avoid it. You actively choose to do something else. In contrast, laziness sort of suggests indifference. It's, I don't care, I'm going to be inactive, I'm not going to do anything, and you're unwilling to act, all right? Human beings have been procrastinating for centuries. The modern definition is procrastination is the act of delaying or postponing a task or set of tasks. It is the force that presents you that prevents you from following through on what you set out to do. So, you know, okay, definitions are great and all, but why do we procrastinate? What is going on in the brain that causes us to avoid the things that we know we should be doing? So this is a good time to bring in the science discussion. And I found some really great research by a guy called James Clear, who writes that behavioural psychology Research has revealed a phenomenon called time inconsistency, which helps explain why procrastination seems to pull us despite our good intentions. So time inconsistency refers to the tendency of the human brain to value immediate rewards more highly than future rewards. And this fits in with the pleasure pain principle we've spoken of in the last couple of weeks. So the best way to understand is, is imagining the two selves that I spoke of earlier. So you've got your present self and your future self. That's the unlived self. When you set goals for yourself, like losing weight or writing a book or learning a language, you are actually making plans for your future self. You are having a vision of what your life is going to be like in the future, what you want it to be like. Now, researchers have found that when you think about your future self, it's quite easy for the brain to see the value in taking the actions with the long-term benefits. The future self values long-term rewards. While the future self can set goals, 
it's only the present self that can take action. So when the time comes to make a decision, you're no longer making a choice for your future self. Now you're in the present moment and your brain is thinking about the present self. And researchers have discovered that the present self really likes instant gratification, not long-term payoff. So the present self and the future self are often at odds with each other. It's like a war. This can be the, the definition of an internal war. The future self wants to be trim, taut and terrific, but the present self, they want to eat a donut. So everybody knows you should eat healthy today to avoid being overweight in 10 years. But consequences like an increased risk for diabetes or heart failure is years away. And so they don't, the future self can see that, but the present self says, no, nah, we'll be right, we'll just eat the donut. Now, many young people know that saving for retirement in their 20s and 30s is crucial, but the benefit of doing so is decades off. It's far easier to save for the present self to see the value in buying a new pair of shoes than in stacking away $100 for 70-year-old you. And this is directly relates to the topic on anxiety and on anxiety and the brain's patterning for survival. It works off immediate gratification because in the days of old, you just never knew when you were going to get a meal again if you didn't kill the animal in front of you immediately. This is obviously not the case anymore. But if we think we are missing out on something or that it's not worth it yet, then we activate that part of our brain. And this is one reason why you might go to bed feeling motivated to make a change in your life, but when you wake up, you find yourself falling back into old patterns. Your brain values long-term benefits when they are in the future, but it values immediate gratification when it comes to the present moment, like right now today. You cannot rely on long-term consequences and rewards to motivate the present self. You have to find a way to move future rewards and punishments into the present moment. You have to make the future consequences become present consequences so that the brain thinks that there's more pleasure in acting than waiting. So this is exactly what happens during that moment when we finally move beyond procrastination and take action. So for example, let's say you have a report to write. You've got, um, you've known about it for weeks and continue to put it off day after day and you experience a little bit of nagging pain and anxiety thinking about this paper that you have to write, but not enough to do anything about it. Then suddenly, the day before the deadline, the future consequences turn into present consequences and you've got to write that report hours before it is due. The pain of procrastination has finally escalated and you have crossed into action. Now this is something important to note here because as soon as you cross into action, the pain begins to subside. In fact, being in the middle of procrastination is often more painful than being in the middle of doing the actual work that you are trying to avoid. So if you can imagine a graph with point A, a bit like, you know, just your normal graph, point uh, A on the right and point B on the left, and the middle is called action, then point A is often more painful than point B. So that means before you even start is the most pain, the end, 
doesn't have near as much pain. The guilt, shame and anxiety that you can feel whilst you're procrastinating are usually worse than the effort and energy you have to put in while you're working. The problem is not doing the work, it's starting. So if we want to stop procrastinating, we need to make it as easy as possible for the present self to get started. And here's the most valuable piece of advice I can give you. Motivation comes after starting, not before. Let me repeat that. Motivation comes after starting, not before. So when people rock up and say, I just can't get motivated to start, well, that's the point. You get it after. So how do you do that? I'm going to give you a few options, okay? Option number one, make the rewards of taking action more immediate. All right, so if you can find a way to make the benefits of long-term choices more immediate, then it becomes easier to avoid procrastination. So one of the best ways to bring future rewards into the present moment is with a strategy known as temptation bundling. So temptation bundling is a concept that came out of research by Katie Milkman, who is a behavioural scientist. Her strategy suggests that if you bundle a behaviour that is good for you in the long run with a behaviour that feels good in the short run, it's going to be better. So the basic format looks like this. Only do something you love while doing the thing you procrastinate on. All right, so here's an example. Only listen to a podcast you love while exercising. Only watch your favourite TV show while ironing. Only get your coffee after you've dealt with work emails. You get the picture? Okay, option number two. Make the consequences of procrastination more immediate. So we've just flipped it. There are many ways to force you to pay the costs of procrastination sooner rather than later. For example, if you are exercising alone, skipping your workout next week won't impact your life much at all. Your health won't deteriorate immediately because you've missed one workout. The cost of procrastinating on exercise only becomes painful after weeks or months of lazy behaviour. However, if you commit to working out with a friend at 7 o'clock in the morning, then the cost of skipping your workout becomes more immediate. Miss this one workout and you look like a twat. Okay, so you flipped it from the first one. Another common strategy is to, is to place a bet. Now, you've got to be careful with that. We don't want to start one problem. Uh, we don't want to fix one problem and start another. But if you... Don't do what you say you'll do, then money goes into a charity that you hate or it goes to the other person. But the idea is to put some skin in the game and create a consequence that happens if you don't do the behavior right now. All right, option number three, design your future actions. So one of the favorite tools mental health professionals use to overcome procrastination is called a commitment device. So commitment devices can help you stop procrastinating by designing your future actions ahead of time. It's a form of scheduling. You schedule in the actions you want so you reduce the odds of procrastinating. So if you want to reduce your eating habits, you pre-make or store food in individual packages rather than in the bulk size. Now, to do that, you need to schedule in maybe a cooking day. Or some time, but what we find is once it's scheduled into your calendar, 
you're more likely to do it. And someone, I, th I might have said this once before, is that we have someone said to me once that we all have a crystal ball. And I was like, what do you mean? None of us have a crystal ball. We'd all want a crystal ball. But in essence, a calendar can be a crystal ball because if we look at, rather than make an appointment and add it to the calendar, what if we started adding to the calendar things we wanted to happen? Would that make it work? Not every time, but momentum and motivation build. And so we can end up working towards what we want to happen. Okay, number four, make the task more achievable. Now we've talked about this probably across the board a few times, but we've covered the friction that causes procrastination is usually centered around starting the behavior. Once you begin, it's often less painful to keep working. And this is one good reason to reduce the size of your habits. Because if your habits are small and easy to start, then you will be less likely to procrastinate. I spoke about part of this one last week too with the 10 minute rule. So a good example of this is to consider, say the same report, you're writing a report or you're doing a really boring mundane task. Instead of measuring the progress based on the completion of the task, measure the progress in say 10 to 15 increments. Set a goal for every 15 minutes and continue the pattern for a predetermined time. So if you're writing a report that's gonna take two hours, Break it down to 15 minutes for those two hours. Now, apply this to everyday tasks too. Look at ironing or cleaning. This approach allows you to enjoy the feelings of satisfaction every 15 minutes while continuing to work on the larger task. See what you're doing? You're bringing forward the pleasure component. Even though you might be saying, well, there's not much pleasure in completing the ironing task, but that's where you're wrong. That's often where the pleasure is, completing the task. That's not the only reason for breaking down the task. Um, small measures of progress help maintain momentum. And that means you're more likely to finish it. The faster you complete a productive task, the more quickly your day develops an attitude of productivity and effectiveness. And you know what? I find this second point, the speed with which you complete the first task of the day, to be really important for me for overcoming procrastination and maintaining a productive day. Some days you aren't that busy and you know it's okay to slack off every now and then but if you are and you've got to put your head in the game and you've got to be organized then doing that knocking that first one off I get that much done during the day. In fact I get more done on a busy day than I do on a slow day because I've just not put myself in as much. So we've covered a variety of strategies for beating procrastination on a daily basis. Let's discuss some ways to make productivity a long-term habit and prevent procrastination from creeping back in. So one reason it's so easy to slip back into procrastination time after time is because we don't have a clear system for deciding what's important and what we should work on first. So one of the best productivity systems that I've found is also one of the most simple, and I'm all for simple. It's called the Ivy Lee Method, and it has five steps. One, at the end of each workday, or each day, write down the six most important tasks you need to accomplish tomorrow. Do not write more than six tasks. Prioritise those six items in order of their true importance. When tomorrow arrives, 
concentrate only on the first task. Work until the first task is finished before moving on to the second and approach the rest of the list in the same fashion. The end of the day, move any unfinished items to a new list of six tasks for the following day. You've got to repeat that every day. And here's what makes it so effective. It's simple enough to actually work. It forces you to make tough decisions, honest decisions. It removes the friction of starting because you know where you're going to start and it requires you to single task because there's no such thing as multitasking. That is the biggest myth in life. Multitasking does not exist. What we do is switch task. We start one thing and we don't finish it. What women do particularly well is switch task efficiently. They, in fact, probably uh, prioritize a little bit better and they start, finish, start, finish, start, finish. But there is no such thing as multitasking. You cannot do more things than once. So this concept works on single tasking. Do one thing at a time and knock them off. Another way to overcome the trap of procrastination is to use visual cues to trigger your habits and measure your progress. So a visual cue is something you can see, a reminder that prompts you to take action, a calendar appointment, an app, um, you get the picture, even a vision board. Why? Because visual cues remind you to start a behaviour. Visual cues display your progress on a behaviour. Visual cues can have an um, an additive addict uh, hang on an addictive effect on motivation. When you feel like you can see progress, you are more inclined to want to act. What I need, what I want you to do is have a look at what are my resistances. What are my resistances? And go back to the beginning of this pod, uh, this um, video or podcast if you're listening to it. And in fact, I might, I haven't set up a little handout for you, but I will probably go ahead and do one, which is going to list the forms of resistance and really have a look. Is my perfectionism stopping me from starting? Is my fear of what people think stopping me from starting? Is my fear of being criticized stopping me from starting? That's what has a look at underneath motivation. They sit with procrastination in the middle. They're the, between motivation and procrastination are these little items. And you've got to really have a look at what stops me because I think I said last week, if it becomes, um, it's not a matter of, you know, motivation not being there. It's a matter of what stops it from coming. If we don't really focus on the what's in the middle of uh, motivation and resistance and we, we just say, well, I'm not motivated or we just go, I'm procrastinating. But it's more than that. I want you to have a look under it. These things can help you with procrastination. If you are a procrastination, a procrastinator because it's a habit, then the Things that I've spoken about to you tonight are going to help you. If you put them into play and you have a bit of a test with them, it will help you. If your procrastination is more is on a deeper level and it affects 
you're starting because you don't want to make a mistake, then you're not actually dealing with procrastination. You're dealing with a mindset block. And that's something that you need to have a little bit of a deeper look at. All right. Now, next week, we are going to look underneath slightly. And I'm going to ask, well, if it's not procrastination, what if it's not? What if you go and implement some strategies, but still there's no movement? Well, that's another question we need to look at. So I'll see you next week for a nice juicy number. Thanks for joining me and I hope it was valuable and I will see you next week.